Nice t-shirt. Thanks. That's not a black music shirt. No. Yeah. No. That's a Sam the Record Man shirt. Nice. Picture of Sam, wrong side. Alrighty. Nice t-shirt, buddy. Thanks. You're welcome. My wife. What was that? The gift from my wife. She has good taste. She does. Maybe yes. not in men, but not in, in men. T-shirts. Definitely not in men in t-shirts. <laughs> uh Greg. When we uh after we went off the air yesterday, not yesterday, last week. We heard the news that uh Gordon Lightfoot passed. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the first time I'm listening to his music since he passed away. Really? Strange, yeah. Um, that you didn't want to, or you? No, you know or... what? I didn't. I didn't have. I wasn't in a physically in a place where I could sit down and listen to his music. And I wanted to be able to sit down and listen to his music because it's not. I mean, for some people, it might be music you can listen to in the background. But um, yeah, it's it's. There's something about his voice, the lyrics, this, uh, it's just amazing. Um, and I, I know that you're not a huge folk fan, but even you appreciate it. Absolutely. Gordon Lightfoot. Um, yeah, I, I think I I'm so think glad of him necessarily as yeah. folk. I mean, I know he is. Yeah, but he was a big part of my childhood that I didn't really consider to be like, you know, whether it was Roger Whitaker, like we've talked about yeah, before, yeah, yeah. or Gordon Lightfoot, or Nana Scurry. So I mean, like to me, that was just part of my upbringing listening to this music. Had nothing to do with folk or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was just uh, the stuff your parents might have played. Um, I had never, I don't think I ever heard of him until I went to England years ago. Years and years and years ago. And my cousin, who's a few years older than me, said her favorite singer was this Canadian named Gordon Lightfoot. Um, and it might have been this album. Or, or an album similar, but uh, yeah. Since then, you know, I've I've I haven't devoured his music, but I've respected it immensely. And whenever his songs come on the radio, it wouldn't matter how many times I've heard the song, I would still listen to it. it I wouldn't change the channel. I wouldn't change the station. Um, and I was so happy that maybe four years ago I went to go see him on my birthday in Ottawa special chip who goes to Ottawa in the winter time special chip uh, the day after his birthday which is November the 17th my birthday on November the 18th he always performed at Massey Hall on his on his birthday um, and I think it was the first year that Massey Hall 
shut down to start their renovations. Yeah. And so he wasn't playing at Massey Hall, but he was playing in Ottawa. So I went to Ottawa, and I was so happy. I remember that concert just smiling and just listening to all the hits. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, hits, but just all these songs that I was so familiar with. Mm-hmm. And to see him play, and uh, it was it was a treat. It yeah, was a to, treat. To me, to me, I'll turn it around and flip it the other way. Yeah. I've said it before that the tragically hip are Canadiana. Yeah. Similarly, Gordon Whitefoot is Canadiana. Oh. It's just, it's part of our DNA. Part of I the DNA of Canada. Even more so than the hip. I think. I Not not that there's a comparison, not there's a, a battle. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I just mean it as in they're yeah. both are woven into the fabric of what is Canada oh, yeah. and Canadian Canadiana. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think we, I think we can all agree if you played, if someone were to ask you, you know, pick one artist or pick one song or, you know, I, I, and, and people had the time to, to think and, and, you know, just pick one. And I think from our era, and before, you'd be hard pressed not to agree if anyone picked a Gordon Lightfoot song. Oh, there's just something, man. Something about his music. Yep. Anyway, he, he passed on on May the first uh, here in Toronto. Uh, but like all of our favorite artists and bands who break up, who pass away, their music just lives on. Yeah, man. Gordon Lightfoot. It's good we're not a huge podcast, otherwise we could play some music. <laughs> yeah. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi guys, my name is Sean Menard, filmmaker from Toronto, here to talk about my latest film, 299 Queen Street West. And you're listening and potentially watching Welcome to the Music. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Perfect. Here we go. Sons. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for putting the time aside to join us uh, tonight. Um, really looking forward to diving into some of the, the stories and, you know, really how the project came together. I'm sure it was a labor of love over a period of time. Um, we've, we've had the pleasure of having a number of former VJs and people involved in much on the show. Um, what we really want to start off with is our, our our mutual dear friend Erica M. What juice do you have on her that you weren't <laughs> able to put in the documentary that uh, we can use against her the next time we see her? I, I don't know if I have any juice per, per se, 
but Erica actually came on board as my consulting producer yeah. on this project mm-hmm. and she cleared the path, man. She was, she was incredible. Her, her belief in me. And I admitted early on that I had no idea who she was until I started doing research. Oh. She was before my much music yeah. generation yeah. of watching growing up. Yeah. Um, but nothing but great things to say about a, a wonderful human being in Erica M. So, yeah, she, so she really is. How, how, how did that start? Was an intro made to Erica mm-hmm. saying, Hey, you need to speak to Erica. She knows who to talk to or. How did that intro start? Yeah, I just reached out to her. I believe I was during COVID at some point, she was putting up a podcast mm-hmm. where yeah. she was interviewing a bunch of former Much Music yep. VJs. Yeah. And so it seemed to me that she was well versed in 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 knowing a lot of these people and and also just the subject matter from from being from the early days and, and working on uh, 10 years on camera. So I thought she would be a good place to start having someone that can make sure that I'm I'm telling the story properly, hitting all the marks. And, um, you know, and then I, I as I kind of, uh, you know, we did the contract and the, the, the deal, my lawyer confessing that it was his, uh, his high school crush and couldn't believe that right we here, had right, Erica M right on here. board. So it started to dawn on me just how, how significant and important she was in this country for a lot of, especially adolescent males. <laughs> and they're not just adolescent males. We've we've joked about this before, and even my wife said I had a crush on Erica back in the day. So you know, Erica was Erica. She was an icon, is an icon, not was is an yeah. icon. But yeah, back with those much music days for sure. So the the movie, the doc, two ninety nine Queen Street West, is not about all of much music, but a certain time in 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 much music was was that because. That was your time, Sean, that this is what you remember about much? Or was there another reason why you picked a, a specific time frame? Uh, I wouldn't, I would say it covers, I mean, it, it, it definitely, the, the film opens up in the telling the origin story of City TV because you yeah. can't really tell the much music sure. story without touching on City TV. Are most of your listeners from the Toronto area in Canada? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll get these references. And um yeah, I, and then it's basically you know we we go from the origins on how it all started to opening night, and then it carries all the way through. I always say if there was um if much music was an athlete, okay. in my opinion, my humble opinion, yeah. its wheelhouse or its prime seemed to be eighty eight to about ninety six. That's when it was really cooking. People, yeah. you know, was down there at two nine nine Queen Street West, right on the corner, it, it, and it was um right before it started to jump the shark. And totally sell out. And it just, that seemed to be the 88 to 96. It's kind of the pocket that the film hangs the most in. Okay. But it definitely tells the whole okay. gambit of, um, you know, 30 years of history. Yeah. You, you, you talk about the early days of City and, and we've had Chris Ward on, um, which was a pleasure talking to Chris. Um, and and we, we talked a lot about City Limits. Um, you know, what, what, you know, knowing that again, I, I was I was follow, like watching it back then. You're younger than myself. Um, what what did you get out of that? You mentioned it was so important of how city and you know set the stage for what became much. Yeah, city limits, and I actually highly recommend Christopher Ward's book. Is this live? It does an incredible or history look back and. Um, it's a great read. I recommend anyone picking up. I believe you can get on Amazon, but going back and learning about, I had no idea what city limits was. And then you start stumbling upon this footage and learning that it really was the pilot to much music. And the fact that they 
the beautiful part is they had no money, no funding, but there was a beautiful freedom in that. Because if you don't have mm-hmm. money to throw at things and solve problems, the only way you can really figure it out is creatively. And sometimes it ends up being a better solution. Um, in this case, they had no studio. It was this little control room. So let's embrace the space. And it's interesting because as that grew, you see that now on television everywhere, right? Everywhere. Where, where they, they, you see the people working behind them and, and they have, and some places, this is even in America on, on network television, they do that. So the idea of, of them being, you know, coming from a place of, we don't really have a studio, so let's just shoot this and having all that freedom, it birthed a real, I mean, I always say that what came out of there in that time period and those guys really started a, a, a television revolution. Yeah. I mean, you started, you talked about hearing Erica's podcast, but you started well before, like you were working on this project five, six, seven years ago. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I I had finished a film called the Carter effect. Um, The executive producers on that were LeBron James and Drake ended up um, premiering at TIFF and, and getting worldwide on Netflix. And it was about the origin stories of Vince Carter and his impact on Canadian basketball. And um, right after that, I was I saw the impact it had, or at least to me, the pride I got was this is a story that I grew up with and it got to go around the world. Yeah. So I was just thinking, okay, how can I do something similar again? I've always tried to set out to try and do almost a trilogy of these Toronto love letters. Okay. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so so much music was gonna be number two. Um, unfortunately, the rights holders, uh, Bell Media, and it's not their fault when you pitch someone a you know, word document or a pitch deck, and you say this is what it's going to be. They're not necessarily seeing the vision. Um, so it, every time I would I would make a new film, I would circle back. Hey guys, still really excited. Really want to have you guys let me in on the archives and do this project. And it was always a you know we love your enthusiasm, but we're just not ready to do that, or it's not something that we think. Uh, I'm not sure the reason really, yeah. but they weren't prepared to fund it, and it's very risky to make a film that is about a certain subject matter when you don't have the license to all that footage that it's about. Mm. So it eventually just came down to, yeah, you're right. Six years, you're sitting there. I think COVID um, allowed a lot of us to get introspective and think about Mm. if not now, when, if not me, who type of thing. And so I I decided to uh, just forge ahead and I gave them the heads up that I was doing it and I'd let them know when I wanted to circle back and let's see if we can do a deal. But yeah, I ended up just self-funding the project, started interviewing VJs um, initially on camera to see how that was feeling. And then I cut a trailer and I sent that to uh, my contact at Bell Media and Crave. And the next conversation was um, how can we all be a part of this and, and how can we give you whatever you need? Wow. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, you, you talk about, and again, um, Vince Carter effect is a, an amazing, amazing documentary. Anybody who hasn't seen it needs to see it. Um, you know, you talk about those effects. So the effect on Canadian kids growing up thinking, Hey, I can play basketball or I'm excited about playing basketball. You see it in, you know, down in the Southern U S with Gretzky going down there when we were all pissed off about it. Now we have Austin Matthews. It's cat or not captain, but the leading you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you did, you did touch on how the impact of that sort of a raw studio 
um, look and feel, you know, trans, uh, uh, carried into other, you know, broadcasts and that. Did you find anything? I don't know if it's in the documentary or not, but in terms of the effect of those original VJs, like Steve, like Erica, like Chris, on what became the future VJs and personalities? Absolutely. There's definitely an effect. I, I believe um, talking to um, George Strompolopoulos, who was one of the last interviews I got in this film, and I wasn't sure how much time I was able to spend or how much of his interview is going to make it because he came a bit later, um, late 90s, early 2000s was his time as a VJ. But what's interesting is it kind of comes full circle with him because he starts talking about how he, although he couldn't afford much music growing up, but he had city TV and he would watch the their program, the new music. New music. And specifically he used, um, he would cite Michael Williams as being a huge influence on him and his career as a journalist. And so it's interesting because George seemed to be a bit of a throwback VJ when he comes on because he was able to, I mean, that was the gift of all the VJs. They weren't necessarily, and I didn't know this until doing the film is that, they didn't really have on-air experience. They were just music fans. yeah. And so they were able to get these conversations with these great musicians. And I mean, you know, welcome to the music is your show. The effect to me is goes beyond just the VJs and on-air personalities. It really is in the Canadian music scene. Mm -hmm. So many musicians that never would have potentially gotten out of their market or been able to have a record deal um, because of CanCon, the 30%, and because of Video Fact and, and having a platform for them, they were able to launch so many Canadian bands and artists and have them, you know, sell out across the country. And then um, all of a sudden uh, they break into the US and they become worldwide. And so I, to me, the, the much music effect really is the Canadian artists that you see um, even today in, in modern music. Wow. Yeah, Greg, you know, when you're talking about those, those VJs, so many of them have sort of created uh, an afterlife or an, an after much music life, you know, for themselves, right? So Erica, you know, she's got her her agency and then the stuff that she's done with uh, with mommy bloggers uh, over the years. Mompreneurs. Mompreneurs. Is that what they're called? Sorry. No, we're not calling them trouble. bloggers. Sorry. You should know that. <laughs> um, Christopher Ward, like writing hit songs. Um Monica Diol is has a a skincare line, is it? Um, JD Roberts. What? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's, he's John, the, John Roberts. John, John Roberts. Yeah. John Roberts. Did you did you get a chance to interview him? No, unfortunately, no. We didn't. We didn't. But you see him, his presence. I mean, he he's the first much music on air VJ, right? So this film actually lives solely in archives, and so I made that decision early on because it does transport the viewer a lot okay. better. So we never cut away to modern interview headshots. It's ah. you hear the VJs um, telling their story, and it's mixed in with this archives because to me, wow. um, tape doesn't lie. So. You know, you can have all these modern day people explaining why it's so impactful, but to me, the footage is it brings you back there and shows why it's so revolutionary and, and entertaining. So, um, yeah, so you, you definitely see uh, JD Roberts, and there's some some great iconic moments in the film. Um, 
and, and you kind of feel it and see it throughout really brings you back. If you experience that time. Did you, I'm curious if Moses Neimer makes a, makes an appearance. No, I wanted to have Moses. I actually, originally he was going to be the only one I wanted to have on camera. So my okay. first initial thought was, wouldn't it be cool if we don't see anyone on it on camera and then Moses, the brains behind it all, yeah. you know, the man, the, the man behind the wizard behind the curtain, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see him now and he's in his uh, modern day television museum that he has downtown. And, mm. and perhaps there's some clips on these old vintage TVs of much music. And he's talking about what he was thinking when he created it. I thought this would be an incredible ending. I see your guys' reactions as I'm describing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vibing with it. And I was like, yeah, this would be really <laughs> cool. A great way to end it. Um, so I had reached out to Moses and, and his secretary, and they requested to see a cut of it so that Moses um, could really speak to and, and make his point, which is a very smart request and, and not um, uncommon um, okay. of someone of his stature to, to ask, hey, I want right. to see it so that I can really say something on point to you know what, what your film's about. So I was all excited. And as I'm going through these several months of editing, I started to realize in, in documentary, the story, it doesn't really matter so much about what I think it's going to be. It ends up becoming um, kind of what it is through the interviews. I'm having conversations like we're having, and it, we end up going down a road we didn't expect. Okay. And you have to kind of just ride that wave in the edit. So it all of a sudden became more powerful to not see or hear from Moses and Ooh. almost have other people talking about him or you're seeing him, but in the way that you would watch the channel. And if you go back to the archives or if you remember back to watching much music, he was never really on camera, but he was talked about all the time. And if he was in a camera shot, he was far away and he was this figure, you know, dimly lit in the corner. So it ended, ends up becoming more impactful to uh, not have his voice describing about his genius and he was he wanted to do this he wanted to do that it, if, if this makes sense at all um yeah. but so that's ended up what happened in it and i ended up just making the decision that's a stronger film without his voice wow is there a soundtrack to this there, well there yeah so i actually hired the same composer that did the last dance on netflix the michael jordan series oh okay so he he won an Emmy for that. He actually um, before that composed the Carter Effect. So we in my first film, Fight Mom. So this is this is our third collaboration together. He lives out in Los Angeles. Had no idea what much music was. I sent him a cut. Said, "Love for you to compose this. No pressure. You know, don't do it as a favor. Do it if it speaks to you." He watched the two hour cut. Calls me back, and he was he was so impressed. And it's interesting when an American with no past relation to much music can, can say, Hey, these artists that are in the film, these musicians, I grew up watching. His sister was actually uh, in the go-go's. She was a guitar player oh. in the go-go's. And he's, he's, I've seen these musicians my whole life, but I've never seen them like this. They're like real people, human beings having conversations. Yeah. And he, he loved it. And that was when I knew I had something that, I mean, I try to make something for a global audience. I really do. I, I know I, I know there's a cut that can exist and potentially maybe some of the diehard Toronto fans want where they really want to lean into the origins of city limits and city TV. And it, it could truly live as a documentary series. It really sure. could. 
But um, I knew I had something that was going to appeal to American audiences when I got that call. So there, yeah, there is a, a soundtrack and, and he did compose it. And, um, you know, when I blindly submitted to South by Southwest, just grown into one of the biggest, if not the biggest film festivals in the U S um, yeah, th that's where it ended up premiering. So um, it's kind of cool to get that. And we all, for some reason, need that up here in Canada as the American <laughs> pat on the back. You know, our stories matter, guys. It's not just <laughs> us here in Toronto. People care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there was no thoughts of of like a, a TIFF premiere before, uh, before South By? Yeah. I mean, there, I just couldn't get the film done in time. Okay. It just didn't line up um, in having that opportunity. Um, and then definitely wanted to have that premiere that Canadian premiere in September. Um, but unfortunately I hadn't heard back from them. And then it start. They, they don't really make their decisions. When I got in in 2017, I didn't know until about August and oh. the festivals in September. So um, I had to make the, the decision, you know, I, I got to get this out to Canadian audiences. I want this big premiere event. I want to have the red carpet moment for all the VJs. I want to bring out some of the, you know, iconic Canadian musicians um, potentially some wow. of the ones that were there for the opening in 84, there were some, some big celebrities that came out, um, that are still very famous in Canada that we're working on trying to come out for the actual red carpet premiere. And, and that's what's happening. So we're September 22nd at Roy Thompson hall and people can buy tickets at Roy Thompson halls website or at the name of the film, 299 queen street west.com. That is awesome. Uh, the reason I asked about, um, you know, music in the film, the first song that I'd ever played on, on Much Music. Greg, you know what that is? Video Killed the Radio Star. No. No? That was, that was, that was MTV. Oh, that was uh, MTV. I'm yeah. sorry. Right, right, right. Yeah. What are you? What are you? This, is, this is a Canadian content. I messed that up. <laughs> a song by Rush. That was Spirit of the Radio? No. The enemy no. was it. Okay. Strike to that's it. Greg's not talking anymore. Apparently, apparently, I didn't watch much music back in the day. Kareem um, knows his uh, much music history. Wow. Uh, but um, were were any of were there any songs that you were able to get the rights to to play it? And wondering whether that was even a thought. Oh yeah. So aside, I I see your question now. Yeah. I went on that tangent about my composer. No, no, that's cool. But he he did a great job on that film. Yeah. But yeah, there there is. I mean, if you're a fan of music, it's impossible to not love this film because yeah. it's threaded throughout. So the experience that, that was the goal. How can I make a film that recreates the experience that we all had sitting on our couches at home watching the channel? And to me, the most beautiful part is it was eclectic. You didn't know what you were going to get next. You didn't know what you were going to see next. You didn't know who was going to be there. You didn't know what interview was going to come so there's music videos, there's this, there's that. That's the experience of the film for two hours, essentially. So it really, you know, the biggest compliment that I've received is that how difficult it is to make that decision to go get popcorn, a refill on a drink, or go to the washroom because you don't know what you're going to see next and you can't wait to see it. So throughout the whole film, there's a lot of... Um, we licensed a bunch of music and then we also go through what's called fair use. You know, you can okay. play 15 to 30 seconds of a song or a performance. Yeah. Did wow. you, did you have any, did you have any pushback from anybody like taking some of that raw footage or no, no, I, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in this era of documentary filmmaking where others have gone on that hard trodden path 
and I'm able to now benefit from that. So mm. there's been, you know, if you watch countless documentaries, the first that comes to mind, there was a Woodstock 99 documentary, um, yeah. either HBO or Netflix or something, but that where they, they really didn't license much, but they were still able to play some of the performances. So yeah, the rules now have really opened up on how much and artists, as long as you're showing them in a positive light, I mean, there's, there's countless um, musical moments and performances that are in this film where even myself, as I'm working on it, I'm finding myself going back, listening to that artist's album or mm. going farther. So it's, it's definitely um, positive for, for all the artists that, that were involved. I, I wouldn't, I would be very shocked if there was ever any pushback from it. Yeah. You, um, prior to this documentary, Sean, um, you know, if people were to look up the type of documentaries that you've made, I think all of them are sports. All of them focus around sports and culture of sports. Um, and your your second Toronto love letter to Toronto, uh, you decided to make a music documentary. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, you know, why 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 this story specifically um you know you're wearing a blue jays hat me i don't know if that's story number three um but yeah why why not the blue jays or or hockey or um yeah why 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 was it about music and why was it specifically about much music yeah that's a good question kareem i just well, i've been wanting to get out of the box of sports okay. um documentaries for a while and i call it a box because that, in this industry that's really when they figure out you can do something well, they just want you to repeat it over and over again, which is great because I love sports. And yeah. that's really, you know, my my uh, early origins were working at the Score Network in Toronto. So when I started my company 10 years ago, all I had was sports uh, documentaries to show. So um, yeah, and I, I don't know. I just, so it ended up becoming, you just want a more challenge and you want an interesting story. Yeah. To me, it makes no difference if it's a athlete doing something outstanding or, um, you know, a, a local guy named Steve Anthony, that's doing, uh, you know, radio in Toronto that decides to cut his teeth, um, live on the nation for the very first time uh, on camera. So to me, the skills are interchangeable. It's just, that was probably another reason why it took six years. There was a belief that all Shamanar does is, uh, make sports documentaries. So why yeah. does he want to do a music film? Um, so, I mean, I grew up with the channel, something that I really wanted to do. And then I just had to uh, bet on myself to show that I could do it. Yeah. Was there anything, um, you know, you learned who Erica M was because uh, she, she was, she wasn't around when you started watching, but I'm curious if there was anything uh, that you learned about the station. Maybe it was the process. Maybe it was some behind the scenes stuff that, you know, made an impact on the station that you never knew about. I'm wondering if there was anything that maybe the VJs told you that was like, oh, this makes sense. Or I, I can't believe the impact that this made, not just on, you know, a Canadian band, but on, on TV generally. Was, was there anything like that? Yeah, there was a bunch. Off the top of my head, I was really shocked that how much of it was live. That didn't okay. really dawn on me 
when I was a kid watching. I mean, it did, of course, but I guess when you watch through a modern lens and you see how rare, I mean, MTV was, was all taped segments and there's a safety with that. There yeah. is a, um, it doesn't have that same energy. And so that was, that was a big takeaway for sure. And also finding out the reason for it wasn't just because we want to be rock and roll and bring fans in. The origins was because it was cheaper it was and cheaper. it was quicker. You don't have to edit anything. It's just, you just shoot it and it's, and it's, and it's shot out through the satellites and there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, off the top of my head, I think that was one big thing that I, I definitely took away that I was surprised to learn how much of it and the reason behind it. And, and to, to, to dovetail off that too, I mean, you know, it, it was also the unscripted. It wasn't just live. It was like Chris Ward talked about that. We talked with Eric about that in the past and stuff. It's just like, it was go. Yeah. yeah th- that's a great point. Cause I, I always assumed while watching the footage that they're reading from teleprompters. And then you find out sure. real quick that it's not the case at all. And they don't have a director in their ear giving them a run. You know, it's it's really off the cup. And they have to fill it. And then you start to realize what it took to be a much music VJ. I mean, Erica and Michael Williams and Steve Anthony, they're given these four-hour video flow blocks where it's this chunk of time. You have four hours live across the country, and it's up to you to fill it. So in beautiful freedom because you can play anything you want and you can throw to it. But Erica was telling me a lot of the origins of the research because that was a, a question early on where, I, how did you, this is pre-internet. How are you able to, <laughs> and right. she's telling me how she's buying magazines, Rolling Stone, and she's trying to fi- find, read other interviews and, and there's, they get tapes from uh, when they're on broadcasts elsewhere. But so there's a beautiful discovery when you're under-researched in a sense, because you're forced to ask questions that you really don't know the answer to. And then on the other side, the audience is getting this stuff that they don't know because they're so non-accessible. When you know, Pick the Artist is going to be in town, if you're a fan of their music, you've never really seen and heard them speak before. So it becomes must-see television, uh, must-see TV yeah. in a sense. So um, yeah, man. Greg, that's a great point, man. No prompters, unscripted. And it just had this beautiful, chaotic rhythm to it that that was another reason. Like, I just got to lean into these archives and let these moments breathe to get that experience. There's also the, um, you had you had MTV with their Unplugged series, which was cool. But then you had much that literally just opened their doors and had people come in for intimate and interactive uh literally the same space that they were doing the regular shows in but now you know throw in some chairs and, and just open the windows the garage doors whatever they were and you you close down the streets so that whoever it was named that band named that artist would have a you know 15 20 minute chat and then just play a bunch of songs that's nuts that's crazy <laughs> It is. And and that's a that's a real testament to Moses because he when he got that building, they didn't have those doors that and those windows. He got those custom and installed because oh, wow. he wanted to uh, remove the barrier of audience and television being made. He wanted that magic to um 
to seem accessible or to understand the process and yeah. invite the viewers and the audience in. And you're right. I mean, it is crazy. I, I was doing um, some test screenings and I had a couple of buddies with teenage kids. Their minds were blown. That that happened in Toronto and you could just show up. You don't pay money. And they, yeah. they know these artists, of course. So it's um, it was revolutionary. It, it talks about it in the film. David Kynes was um, operations manager there. He started out as an editor on the new music and worked his way up to VP. And he, he talks about when they wanted to do something live, of course, they were influenced by MTV's Unplugged. But he had heard something in LA, I believe. It was a rock show called Rockline, okay. where fans would call in and ask questions to the artist. Yeah. So he he thought, okay, maybe I can combine both of these. And that's where the intimate and then the interactive part really kind of uh, blossomed and, and yeah. coexisted. It's just, it's just amazing. Um, the timing yeah. of it's crazy too, because pre-social media, you that was the only way that you could connect with an artist. Yeah. And you could physically, if you lived in Toronto and you knew ahead of time, you know, you cut school or whatever it was to get down. I remember my brother and my cousin um going down to electric circus you know i think one of them still has a tape but i think they taped it um on, on a vhs but um speaking of electric circus greg another another skill testing question oh yeah uh your way um when much music started where what what building were they in You got this, Greg. Uh, you got this, Greg. Yeah. Uh, I, for some reason, I have one forty east in my head. What was the What was the name of of the place oh. that they were in, formerly known as? He almost oh, gave oh, you the answer. I Greg. gave you Come the on. answer, Greg. Yeah. See, Sean. Sean's with me. Sean <laughs> spent six years studying this, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't at two nine nine Queen. It was in a former dance club called the electric circus yeah hence the name now, of of the show is that the the queen east building was that 99 99 queen 99 east 99 i don't know i had 140 it could be 140 because that'd be the other side of the street you're right yeah. anyway yeah um weird al yankovic is he in the movie is he in the documentary <laughs> weird weird al does not make the cut unfortunately because it was i don't know if you would know this sean but was Weird Al, the only non-much music veggie to ever get his own, was it his own day? It was Weird Al day or Weird Al show? Like every year, it seemed that Weird Al Yankovic had had a day and he would come in and guest host. I can't remember. Greg, do you remember? Was it his own show or just the whole day was Weird Al? But um, am I dreaming this? Apparently a lot of my childhood is missing from me now. Is <laughs> as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that. Well, the so, film the film will take you back. It will ref yes, refresh. Yeah, that. but weird Weird Al gaps. was, um, yeah. I don't I don't know what it was. I, I it kept on. It was a, it was a shock to me. Like Weird Al, why is he why is he playing much music? Like why is he coming and spending a whole day here? Um, I I didn't know. Like again, it's a Canadian thing, right? We don't think we're anything big or or whatever, but. Much music had influence, like during its heyday, like bands would make 
musicians would make a point we need to get on that channel did much music box above their weight what was it about it was it that there was enough buzz or was it the artist really enjoyed being on a on a station that sort of operated in this relaxed no one's wearing a tie there's no desk sort of way yeah in the 80s it's great because the artists are just hacking darts smoking yeah and it was embraced and there was a culture there i mean the guy that was running things uh john martin i mean his office was set up in a bar across the street so you can imagine you know you go to talk to your boss i mean he's he's drinking pints and he's getting his calls forwarded over there it was very much rock and roll and the artists they loved it it was so much different than mtv with with suits and older vjs that really don't they're not really part of the scene or the music yeah you know um and there was just a respect and of course having to be that close with the fans and see their passion because they would advertise so-and-so's, you know, coming down Bon Jovi's going to come and have a Bon Jovi day and have a barbecue here at two nine nine. Come on down. And Jeez. people would show up. I mean, what did you say? It was a, your friend's brother or cousin that was on electric yeah, my, circus? Bro- my brother and, and, and our cousin, they both went to dance at uh, electric circus. They, they must've been, legends in your crew and amongst their friends for being able to do that. Of course they have the tape and I guarantee you someone has it. And that was the coolest part about this process was that when we were starting to source, I mean, how do you figure out what to put in the film? There's 30 years. Where can we get all this footage from? And my archive producer, she would get leads off of YouTube and then we would, Hey, Oh wow. And and then we'd correspond with the archives team at bell. We're looking for this clip and this clip and we'd send them examples because during COVID, what's interesting, timing is fascinating. Because if I was able to do this six years ago, it wouldn't be the same film in, uh, in a lesser sense. Because during COVID, people had so much time on their hands. And individuals like Kareem's brother and cousin were probably sitting around stumbling upon a tape. And they realized, oh, wow, I might as well digitize this because eventually it's going to expire and then they would throw it up onto YouTube yeah. because so many people um, I mean that was that's the craziest part is it there was never uh, a space I mean pre-internet if you missed it it's gone forever yeah. it, it, they rarely would rerun something <clears throat> so you had to program your VHS or run home yes. and actually um, hit record and then you'd watch it multiple times because it was so iconic and incredible to see this artist playing this or to watch uh you and your friends dancing on Electric Circus. I didn't know actually that Electric Circus first started out on City TV as a, and it was okay. during the daytime. That I didn't know. During the oh. day, it took it took a couple years before Monica Diol and her producing partner convinced everyone, hey, it should be at nighttime. It's a club show. Yeah. So there's some great archives in this film. Um, and I got to give a shout out to Retro Ontario and Ed Conroy. I'm not, about him. Yeah. I'm not sure if you guys are, yeah. like, if you're familiar with him, but yeah, yeah. Well, he's sure. a legend. He, I mean, the fact that you have an individual that takes it upon himself to just archive all of these things from our youth, because if it's not for guys like him, this stuff is gone. It doesn't get remembered and talked about. And when I would, my archive producer was giving us these clips from YouTube. I started seeing Retro Ontario watermarks on all yeah. these things. And starting realizing a lot of this stuff is from who who runs this channel. So I'm reaching out and find out it's this guy named Ed Conroy. Yeah. And I was like, Ed, why are you doing this? And he's 
and he he very much talked about his passion and people are forgetting about him. he wants his kid to know all this stuff and so he came on as our archive consultant late in the project but was so impactful because he just he, he's an encyclopedia when it comes to all this stuff yeah he's yeah. i was going to ask you like the impact like would there would you have had a demo to show to bell without the stuff that he had no i to be honest with you if it's not for the individuals yeah because bell wasn't putting these clips on i mean there was a few but by and large it, it's the fans much music was for the fans yeah and they respected and embraced their fans they allowed their fans to drive what was being played through requests through they would mail in their art I that would I always thought that was fascinating. You take the time to make a request and you do spend all this time making this art piece, then you mail it in a physical mailbox and then you wait and have to watch every single day in the hopes that they play that song that you want to hear and unless you own that album but you're not seeing that music video anywhere. I always thought that was fascinating, but so they had the they had this um amazing respect for the fans and that was very much through Moses's ethos. Uh, that it's it's for the audience and then eventually you know youtube comes around and you lose that uh ability to wait for anything now i can just watch every music video why am i tuning into here they, they, they pivot on their programming they very much jump the shark and allow marketing and all this other stuff to impact the programming but then you have the fans all these years later throwing all this stuff on youtube and my, i very much consider myself a fan growing up with this uh, with this channel and watching it every single day after school. And then you're able to draw from it and pull it. And like you said, yeah, my trailer was based on YouTube clips from fans putting that up. That's and, nice. and and in fact, there's some of those clips that don't exist in archives for whatever reason. Whoa. And so we end up just um, reaching out and getting the VHS tape and putting that on the air to create the look and style of what it was like to watch something the second time that you watched it on VHS tape. So there, there again, trying to create that experience of what it was like to watch this channel. You end up leaning into some of that stuff at first. You will, I mean, 95% of the footage that's in that film of the two hours was not digitized. It was sitting on tapes on shelves. So we're able to preserve that stuff is incredible, but yeah. Uh, wow. It's, it's a trip, but that wouldn't exist if, if it wasn't for, you know, YouTube very much is the very, is the foundation that, that rocked and killed much music. There's all these other factors for sure, but the yeah. main reason of why people were tuning in a hundred percent was to watch the music videos. Yeah. That was mm. right. That's, I mean, there's all, yeah. obviously there's other confluences, but the main thing, once you have that taken away and you're, you so, but it's interesting that that is the thing that kept it alive all these years later and led to a film like this. Hmm. Um, so you talk about the footage. I know like there's a couple of other docs that are in works right now with like Spirit of the Radio, the CFNY story um, that they're working on. I know there's a Nash the Slash doc that they're working on and they're calling for a lot of that crowdsourced content because that's not available. Whereas you would have had access to a lot of archive footage that's, you know, on the shelf in the Bell, within the Bell property. Um, how how much of the documentary is 
like, did you use the actual crowdsource content? Yeah, I think you implied or mentioned earlier you did. How much of it was that sort of crowdsource content versus what came off the shelf from the bell shelves? I would say maybe five or ten percent from crowdsource. Okay. Okay. And then we're we're looking at about 95 percent from okay. from the shelves. Wow. Okay. It's well, interesting because really- you would you would have you would you mean it would. You'd, uh, you obviously would have people very excited, much like Retro Ontario, to be part of it, whether it's, you know, from a consulting basis or just con- being able to contribute the footage. Yeah. And and that was the coolest part is to be able to take Ed. He had never been to the physical archive. Oh, wow. You know, museum, yeah. almost, it feels like. And you have um, these Bell employees that, that are down in the basement of 299 Queen Street West. In my opinion, they have the most important job in the building, preserving all that. So to be able to take Ed there and for him to be seeing all these tapes and, um, you know, touching them with his hands and pointing at all this stuff. I mean, that, that was really cool to see it through his eyes because being down there, it felt very much you're in a, uh, just a very special place in Canadian history. And, and what's really cool is that this film now has, because of it has, it's had its success, at South by Southwest and it's coming back and we're having our big premiere at Roy Thompson in September. Um, Bell now is starting to put the resources behind digitizing everything. Oh, so wow. there will no longer be this because those tapes really do have shelf life and they will eventually erode and expire. And those, those clips mm-hmm. will be gone. So, and it, it's a pretty expensive undertaking to preserve it all. But now that has, that process has begun. So that's, if there's any legacy, this film is able to contribute to it's, preserving all that, that, that very much belongs in a museum and younger generation and people outside of this country get to experience and get to know about, because when you see it through a modern lens of 2023, you really appreciate. Um, I only knew Moses Zimmer as a name on a street that changes. After you watch this film, you start to see, wow, that guy truly was a visionary and was ahead of his time. Yeah. And a great guy and a great guy. He actually, I was at the Bovine one time, my band, and we we're all hanging out, and he shared with us a secret pizza recipe, and we felt like we were becoming part of some cult, cult or whatever, <laughs> the, cult, <laughs> the cult of Moses. I, we, we'd laugh about this day. Anyway. Um, okay, Greg, final <clears throat> final skill testing question for you. Oh, dear. Uh, electric Circus, there's that one dancer cowboy hat remember that dancer I, I just be, he is the father of a prominent former athlete in toronto sean knows who i'm speaking about the player i don't know the father's name except to call him mr whatever his last name is I feel this trivia game is a little skewed in Kareem's favor. It becomes the information <laughs> that Kareem knows that not many people know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna test Greg and put him on the spot. This is so niche. I, if I didn't do this film, that's the only reason I know about it. <laughs> it's Dalton Pompey. And I don't know if how prominent Dalton was in Toronto, but he, he, he was had good a time for a here. bit. He was good for a bit. Yeah. He had a couple of couple of years here. But yeah, his his father was that dancer on Electric Circus, the muscled oiled um dancer with the cowboy hat i i when i heard about that i don't know whenever dalton was here in toronto um it was like what 
he, he definitely appears in the film. You can't make you can't include no. Electric Circus and not cut to shots no. yes. of him in his yeah, cowboy yeah. hat shirtless. <laughs> I don't know if that was if I'm he's talking. lubed up or if that's just sweat. Either way, <laughs> he was he was glistening. He was glistening. absolutely absolutely. Um, Sean, tell us about uh, the Canadian premiere. Uh, it is uh, later. Uh, this fall um, uh, in Toronto in September. Uh, tell us what can the, the the fans and people who attend expect that evening? Well, it's really, it's one night only. Yeah, It's not going into any other theater night. It's not going to any other show. Um, I wanted to create a night where you have the experience of what it was like to have that shared moment with other people you know that's how a lot of a lot of us consume much music running to a friend's house after school to watch kareem's brother and cousin dance on electric circus <laughs> so it's really about having that shared experience and it's more of an event than just the screening of course we're going to have the two-hour film that's there at, at one of the prominent um you know locations in in the city throughout the country at roy thompson hall but after the film screening we're doing a uh, intimate and interactive with cast of the film, the Much Music VJs themselves. So uh, there'll be an opportunity, old school, to ask questions. Um, and you're really going to be in a room with with a bunch of them that have never seen the film. So this will be the first time wow. the cast of the film will, will be seeing it. And then they're going to be so fresh from it out on the stage. And um, I'm in the works of bringing out some some famous celebrities to help me uh, kind of co-host that event, um, some Canadian icons. So it should be uh, it should be something special. And I should probably try and get the dancing cowboy, Dalton Pompey's dad, to be dancing in the windows. Of oh, absolutely! <laughs> You're giving me great <laughs> ideas here, Kareem. <laughs> and and maybe Weird Al could host the night. Weird Al should host. He, he should. Really, yeah. You're right. You're right. Him or or Ed the Sock. I don't know what kind of evening you want, but. Uh, Oh, that 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 would be uh, that would be fantastic. Um, I I got to ask this final. Well, speakers' corner was that was that was that a much music thing? Was that a, was that before on City TV? Was that copied from somewhere else? Does anyone know? Yeah, it was. That was Moses's brainchild, okay. and I believe it stemmed from something. I might be wrong on this. I'm surprised if Cream knew the answer. I feel like he would test <laughs> ask Greg. <laughs> he would ask Greg, <laughs> but I believe it was something that derived from England. There yeah. was a spot where they would gather in the in the court, and they would have a yeah. they talk about modern things that are going on, gripes, politics, and they called it Speaker's Corner. So he wanted to. I mean, again, this is especially when you're looking at this film through 2023. Moses created social media. Before that was, it was even literally there. Snapchat and TikTok before they even existed. So it, I, I believe it was on City TV, and and yeah. they would, I mean, you would drop in a dollar, I believe, and then you got your your one minute, thirty seconds, whatever it was, two minutes, which is fascinating. I know it, a bunch of it went to charity, but also people are paying the network to make content as genius, it, <laughs> and they would turn it into the best half hour, and they also would include it on Much Music. For anytime artists were in, especially on the intimate interactives, they yeah. would cut to a, a question that someone earlier in the week asked on Speaker's Corner and they would play that. And then, of course, I mean, the, one of the most famous. Okay, here you go, Greg. I'm going to ask you the, the trivia question. The to redeem already. yourself. Before this, you ask, this, I know the answer. This is like double jeopardy here. <laughs> this is the final jeopardy. You're going to nail this. 
I know Kareem knows it, so I'm yes. not. You're, you're banned know. from this question. All right, Greg, which Canadian artists unsigned at the time appeared on Speaker's Corner, and because of this, were able to sign a record deal? Go. If you go, if, when this goes on to YouTube, you're going to back it up, and you're going to see me saying three letters over and over again. Bare naked ladies. Bonus question for Kareem. What was that's correct, by the way, Greg. Totally redeemed yourself. Thank you. Kareem, what was the what was the name of the song that they played? Okay. You can be my Yoko Ono. He's good. He's good. <laughs> he's not a good singer, but he's good at No, no, no. Yeah. No, no. Trivia. Trivia. Much music trivia. Yeah, yeah, much yeah, music, yeah. much music trivia. That's that's Absolutely. all. And listen, they're they're basically a Scarborough band, so I, I have to know my my Scarborough uh trivia. Um this has been a fascinating conversation, Sean. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Can I can uh, I ask one trivia question? Um, Name yeah, sure. the Much Music employee that yes. was responsible for my band's first play on Much Music. First play, like first video play. Oh, the person that played your video? No, the person that was responsible for our first I video getting played. I don't know. We're Wait, can you get, can you can you give me the era of the? Uh, it would be that would be late eighties, I think, late eighties, and it wasn't somebody on air. I'm talking about the person that was responsible to get it on. Oh, Moses Nightmare. No, right. Simon Evans, Craig Halkett. Craig Halkett. Ah, that was going to be my second guest. He's in the film as well. We were in, <laughs> we were we were literally in. Daytona Beach. <laughs> it was spring break when they always do the shows down there. Oh yeah, and, right. uh, and and we were just hanging out in Craig's, and I'm like, dude, can you just can you just throw it on? And he's like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, that, thanks, buddy. That's the beautiful part about much music, know, though. I that's know. incredible. I love that story. That Craig Halkett. Wow. Yep. That is crazy. So the website to get tickets is two nine nine Queen Street West. Dot com. That's, that's correct. Name name of the film. And we'll also be putting up later on because we're taking the film one night only across the country, basically okay. in every major city. Yeah. Um, so that's where all people can also grab tickets awesome. if it's if it's you know coming to some somewhere local. But that's where they can get the tickets for the Canadian red carpet premiere event on September twenty second at Roy Thompson Hall. That is awesome. Our guest has been Sean Menard. Go check it out. 299 Queen Street West, the definitive documentary about much music. The the premier music channel in North America, for sure. Uh, Sean, again, thank you so much for this. Yes, Sean, I you. appreciate your time. This has been awesome. My pleasure. Thanks, boys.